Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. This week we are talking Trumbo, the Oscar-nominated film. Joining me this week is Stephen Schleicher, of Hello. course. Stephen, back in 1947. Yeah. Dalton Trumbo. Mm-hmm. He's one of Hollywood's top screenwriters. Oh, yeah. I was like signing some of the... He was the high one... At, I think at the time, the highest paid yeah. writer in Hollywood, I think. Yeah. Unfortunately, he and nine others, through horrible circumstances, would end up being jailed, and then uh, them and many, many others would be blacklisted in the Hollywood community. Yes. And would be forced out of work. Right. But uh, for their political or sometimes perceived political Correct. beliefs. Right. This is a very... Um, as Trumbo would stay at the dark, end of the film, a dark time in Hollywood and kind of for the nation as a whole. Yeah. So, uh, what was going on that made this such a dark time? Well, you know, we, uh, we got out of World War II. Right. And, uh, we were allied with the Russians. Sure we were. Who, they were our friends. Yeah, they were our friends and they let us beat those fascist Nazis. Oh, those Nazis. Ah, Nazis. Dang, I hate Nazis. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh... During that time period of the war, people became um, kind of enamored with the Communist Party ideals. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, what's wrong with Communist Party? It's like everybody gets some. Let's all share our stuff. It's good. Sharing is good. That's what you learn in kindergarten, right? You share your stuff. Uh, Unfortunately, Uh we uh, decided as a nation to not like the Russians after the World War II. Why? Because we had a little thing called the Cold War. Oh, okay. Because they started developing bombs. We started developing bombs. We needed to find out ways to make them the bad guy. Right. And anybody who shared their ideology. Or a bad guy now. Yes. So, you know, it's, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, um, what socialism was doing and and the only area where socialism was really being practiced was in the Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you didn't have a, well, maybe you had a socialist party in the United States. But the Communist Party was kind of a, you know, one of those things that, oh, here's a new party. Come find out. You know, this is the party of the people. Mm-hmm. These are the this is the party that helped uh, not get a lot of unions off the ground, but certainly it helped unionize um, workers in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And they went after Communist Party, went and recruited from the writers, um, really some of the people that you would think had very little influence in Hollywood. Right. right. But uh, they went after them and they promised, oh, you know, you'll meet girls and go to parties <laughs> and do all these kinds of things. And sure, there were a lot of people in Hollywood during the uh, the 1920s through, you know, the 1950s that were affiliated 
with the Communist Party, even if it was just one meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, I just went to one meeting. I believe Lucille Ball. I want to say for some reason, I want to say Lucille Ball was a member of the Communist Party. I'd have to look that up. There was a Um, lot of names, you know, kind of thrown around because you're talking about pretty tight circles of groups mm -hmm. of people. They get invited over a thing. They go to a one meeting and then they kind of get targeted at this. So it would not be absurd to say, you know. A lot of Hollywood at least went to like probably one meeting, you know. In 1936, Lucille Ball listed her affiliation with the Communist Party. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There's, I mean, there's a lot of people. Now, there were some people that were not John Wayne. No. Ronald Reagan. Right. um, Walt Disney. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not affiliated with no, no, no. the Communist Party. Because and they love America. Well, yeah, they love America and, and they love this idea, especially Disney, uh, loves this idea of, you know, I want to pay my workers what I want to pay them. Mm-hmm. Even if that means that here are two people sitting side by side and they're doing the exact same job and one of them is getting paid 10 times more than the other. And if you cause trouble, I want you out. Mm-hmm. And... I don't want you rabble rousing and causing trouble for my studio or my movies. And by the time Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was over, there was a studio system at Disney where they had huge despair, uh, discrepancies or a huge difference in what the animators and other people were getting paid. Mm-hmm. And they decided to go on strike. And of course this got Disney all in a tizzy. Um, he just blamed the socialists for causing the problems that he had. There's a really great documentary. I don't think it's Ken Burns, but it was a recent two-part um, documentary series from PBS or on PBS about Disney. Mm-hmm. And the first half talks a lot about what was leading up to the problems with him going out and actively campaigning against anyone who had a communist or socialist affiliation uh, because he just thought it was un-American. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronald Reagan... Um, had no problem pointing out people and oh, saying, no. hey, that's a commie, that's a commie, that's a commie. I mean, he was kind of, from what I've read and heard, that he was kind of the backdoor informant for, yeah. you know, the Congress and FBI to give them names. And right. then when he gets in the public light, he kind of backs off and doesn't really say anything. But right. behind closed doors, he was hev- heavily naming people to this party. So... um I forget who was the uh, who was the head of the very first uh, Congress uh, hearings. Oh, I'd have to have oh to look gosh. it up here. But um, I think I have it up on my phone. Do you have it on your phone? Yeah, because okay. I was googling him earlier. All right. I, actually, I was the the guy in Trumbo. Mm-hmm. The guy who does the uh, yeah, I probably still have it because I was. So not uh, uh, Parnell Thomas. J. Yeah. Parnell Thomas. J. Parnell Thomas. Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. He was. Uh. He was kind of this. Uh, I would say probably up and coming politician guy who right. had this idea that we need to stomp out these communist ideals because there has there is no bigger influence ever in the history of man than the Hollywood and the film industry. Mm-hmm. So if they have these ideas, they will quickly spread spread throughout America, and we will be lost to the communist ideals. Right. Uh, and so, you know, he was the head of this committee and he invited Walt Disney and Ronald Reagan, who was the head of the, uh, what is it? The Screen Actors uh, Guild at the mm-hmm. time. And they were, they were invited to participate as friendly, um, people who were friendly to the, to the government's, um, hearings to mm-hmm. the, to finding more about communism infiltrating Hollywood. What's fascinating though, 
is beyond just this, oh, well, those commies are bad. You know, in the early days of motion pictures, there were times where the government went out to Hollywood and basically said, hey, can you do some things that will help support the war effort and mm-hmm. show Russians are our friends mm-hmm. and that we should all work together? And so there were writers like Trumbo and others who were writing stuff that had or had a pro-communist socialist bent to it. Right. And in many cases, just because of their belief systems, the one that uh, Trumbo had written, I forget what the name of the movie was, but it was it took place during uh, World War uh, Two, where these four women decided to live together and save costs and expenses on, um, uh, you know, for the from the war effort. Right. And he put a lot of socialist commentary in there, or at least a lot of some people saw it as um, was it the road gang? No, it wasn't the road gang. Um doesn't matter. Maybe it was. It, I'll look it up. I if I see it, I'll remember it. But yeah, so he put. I mean, he put these. Yeah, he put ideals these in, in there, there and by the behest of the government. Essentially, yeah, almost. Yeah, almost yeah. with the the government saying yes, please do this, and then suddenly, people are looking at people weird and saying, "Well, are mm-hmm. you a communist? Are you trying to corrupt?" Hollywood, are you trying to corrupt the nation through your messages that you're embedding in these movies that millions and millions of people are watching? Which is fascinating because one of the things that Stalin had understood very easily is that film is a very powerful motivator. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not, it was a, not Lenin. Lenin, it was understood that film was a powerful motivator. And also Hitler understood, or at least um, um, Riefenstahl understood, that film could be used to really manipulate the audience. And so when the government sees this and uh, our head of the 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 uh, hearings. Yeah, Parnell Thomas. Thomas, they're just like, oh, well, we don't want big media influencing and harming our viewers. Mm-hmm. The problem is Hollywood had already been going through a lot of problems, right? I mean, they had gone through the whole haze a commission affair where mm-hmm. it was like either you guys regulate yourselves or we're going to regulate and uh, the whole ratings board. So it's like Hollywood comes a knocking and this is almost this is right on the cusp of um, breaking down of the vertical integration system um, for Hollywood. And so Hollywood's just kind of like at times just feels like they're rolling over a lot of times on this because they want to be seen as good Americans. Right. And Trumbo and nine others were called to come to Washington to testify. And they went there and they weren't necessarily not answering questions. Right. Right. And that's the thing about this commission is that they couldn't be charged with anything. But no, yeah, you, can't, for, you can't be charged for being wrong, communist yeah, right, because right, exactly. that's there's like nothing illegal. Right. So, but they didn't believe it was Congress's right to have or to even ask the ask question, the question essentially right. mm-hmm. are you a, ha, are you or have you ever been affiliated with the communist party mm-hmm. and they took issue with this mm-hmm. and so they banded together and said well we're not going to not answer the question we're just going to each answer them in our own unique way mm-hmm. knowing that they could be held in contempt right of this court which is the only way essentially they could go to jail right is if they just were non-compliant with this and the thinking was there was a group i mean this was right i mean they were totally in the right Mm -hmm. in their approach and their argument of we don't i mean if they want to call us in contempt that's fine we'll just 
sue the government. I mean, this will go to the Supreme Court. And at the time, the Supreme Court was very liberal Mm -hmm. in its thinking. And had it gone up to the Supreme Court, more than likely they would have been seen as right, that they wouldn't have had to answer those questions or be seen as as members of the Communist Party. Problem was, and this is one of those rare, rare, Mm -hmm. super rare instances, the the Hollywood 10 are held in contempt and they're sentenced to prison and two Supreme Court justices die yeah. in that year that they are in jail. And I guess it, it had a split. Um, uh, split decision. So it split decision. So it goes court. down to the lower court. Yeah. And they had to spend a year in jail. Right. Which at this point in the film, because right. everything we've pretty much discussed is in. This mm-hmm. kind of up first half of Trumbo. Yeah, and if and if you're not familiar with Trumbo, I mean it's 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 almost like um straight out of Compton, right? It's it's a biography. Yeah. But there's some coloring going on right. in the piece. But for the most part, this what you read in the history books, what you read up on the Wikipedia, what you read in there was a great book on the Hollywood Ten, um, is portrayed in this movie. Right. And at this point in the film, uh, there's already some inklings like, oh, this is pretty it's a kind of a, a modern story, essentially. Mm-hmm. It kind of reflects on Somewhat of a political mm-hmm. ideology right now in America. Oh yeah, you can, I mean, and then, and but then, the a plot point is a Supreme Court justice dies. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, this is too much. I know, right? It's too much. It's the, too real. There right are now. some. There are some. You know, the history repeats itself kind of thing. You see yeah. a lot of that going on now. Are oh, you affiliated? Yeah. Are you a Muslim? Uh-huh. You know, have you ever been affiliated with any of these uh, Muslim organizations? Well, that was you know, uh, and, and we see this kind of witch hunt for. People because of their religious affiliation, mm-hmm. not because of their political affiliation. Although I guess some of that's going on right now. Oh yeah, but I, I just, I, you're right. There is there are some very interesting parallels. Yeah, that are going on between what happened with Trumbo and what we see today. Yeah, and I mean, you see this coming up with the Sanders campaign of this democratic socialism. Essentially, mm-hmm. a lot of the same ideals that they were talking about in Trumbo of, but since it's not dem- like they weren't putting democratic in there in front of it, or they're mm-hmm. not putting republic, it's seen as a foreign concept that's un-American. Right. And so that's where this huge uh, problem comes up for these guys when they're not trying to change America. Well, they're right. trying to change America, but not overthrow a government system. Right. They just want to change the system. I mean, they right. want to they they make, make the system better. Yeah. yeah. And there's even, I mean, again, this is this is based on conversations, books, you know, recounts of what had happened. Mm-hmm. There's a point where Trumbo is having a conversation with his daughter and she's like, well, am I a communist? And he's like, well, do you believe that everyone should be treated fairly and have access to health care and all of these other mm-hmm. things? And she's like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, OK, you're a communist, too. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just it's not it's not in, in, in another point in the movie. He was saying, you know, I love America. I just think we could make it better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there from the way this movie portrays Trumbo, he is not a menace. No. To, <laughs> to the world. <laughs> but unfortunately, because he had this stamp of communist on him, mm-hmm. and at the same time we had uh, spies were getting executed for selling secrets or sharing secrets to, mm-hmm. to Russia, they essentially couldn't find work. In fact, even though they had contracts, even though these the Hollywood 10 had contracts with the studios, um, there was a California or there is a California law and it's probably a very good one. I'm hoping it's still around that basically says you can't fire someone because of their political beliefs or religious affiliations, mm-hmm. which is great. I mean, that's really cool. It's a good one. But 
there were those in Hollywood and in the government who couldn't stand the thought of these people working. And so they convinced the studios to come up with moral clauses. And the one of the moral clauses that the studios all decided to join. And there's a very interesting, weird conversation that happens between uh, Hetty Hopper and uh, Louis B. I think it's Louis B. Mayer. Um, where she's basically saying, hey, do you want me to let everyone know that the Jews are running Hollywood in, mm-hmm. in her gossip columns? And so then the Hollywood, then the studios get together and they basically put a moral clause in that says anyone who's been um, a member of the Communist Party, we will null and void your contract. And right. so that's how they got out of uh, firing. That's how they were able to fire these writers, mm-hmm. which, again, wow, uh, really weird. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just writers. I mean, this was actors. Oh, I mean, yeah. there were people all up and down the scale. But Trumbo focuses on. Trumbo as 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 mm-hmm. the writer as well as the people that were close to and him. It, it gets a little bit into the actor side with some of the people Trumbo's mm-hmm. related to or not related to, uh, affiliated with mm-hmm. in the Hollywood system and how they kind of get attacked for being affiliated with this communist party ideas. Right. And so you see that, and I think there's some really good can- character interaction in Trumbo because of that, because some people aren't as, um believing or it's steadfast right. in their uh, belief in this communist cause and they see that waiver. It's really interesting because there's a weird, here's one of the things that that you should try to avoid when you are casting actors for your film. Uh, there are two different characters in this movie. Uh, one is playing Ross who becomes the head of uh, Ross uh, Studios. Right. Who had a, a passing affiliation with uh, the communist party. Mm-hmm. And then you have... Um, the the gangster actor um uh, as he's portrayed yes uh, gosh I can't forget uh, can't remember his name but Man. those two actors look so much alike yes that so <laughs> you had Buddy Ross who's played by Roger Bart and then the other one I'm trying to find it uh, really quick is um gosh I can't find his name now but he, you know um. Yeah, I, yeah, they're always totally, talking like this. Ain't yeah, you? I'm yeah, just yeah. totally blanking on it. Um, played by another actor, and they look enough alike. Yes, that I kept thinking, what's going on with this guy? Is he having, you know, <laughs> some kind of disorder <laughs> where he is? We're not able to understand why he keeps flip flopping on his approach to. Oh, I want to support you guys, but oh no, I can't. I can't support you guys. Right. And it was the weirdest thing. So when you're casting actors, please don't cast people that look too much alike mm-hmm. because it's going to confuse the audience. Well, and especially because they're not in a majority of the film. You right. You aren't familiar with their face enough. Right. To distinguish them because I was like, I'm going to have to go back and rewind this because I don't, did I miss this development in this character? Of course, then it got Edward really G. weird. Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, that's yeah. who I'm thinking of. Because then it got really weird because one of them flipped in the Congress trial. Right. And gave him up. And then isn't yeah, the so, other and then one Robinson later? Yeah, Eddie Robinson, <laughs> Edward G. Robinson is like selling his stuff because he can't find work. Right. And Buddy Ross, who has this studio, he he can't get his films distributed unless he names names. And so it's like it is really weird to see mm-hmm. those two that look so much alike. And that's Michael Stolberg, uh, Stolberg, who's playing uh, Edward G. Robinson. It's just really weird um, mm-hmm. how that laid out. So, well, there was a couple of weird actor things in this. Mm-hmm. And some of it was the aging of Trumbo's kids. Yeah. Cause some of it was like 
Was that a year Trumbo, or was Trumbo it like 10 went, years? No, Trumbo went away for one year yeah. in 1950 and returned in 1951. Yeah. And his kids have sprung up, yeah, you know, like, 10 feet. That girl grew yeah. a foot and a half well, in and which is not five years. Which is not, you know, uncommon for a kid to shoot up that quickly. But, but it, it was a totally different yeah. person. So that in the movie, when he comes back from prison, mm-hmm. you the audience is reintroduced to his kids again because he's getting out. And he's like, oh. My son by name. Here's my son's name that I mentioned the last time when there was a younger kid playing you. And oh, my daughter, who was the second youngest daughter. Oh, yeah. And they did that in there just to make sure that the audience was clear on what was going on. So I thought that was a little weird. Um, You're right. uh, Now, from what I understand, Trumbo did go through some rapid aging because of the stress of all of this and the long hours that he was working. So to see in one scene, Brian Cranston uh, walking around and then suddenly... It, a year has passed and he's like kind of hunched over and he's got much more gray hair. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's really what happened. Um, yeah. So that was, that was odd. Yeah. That, Cause it just got like gray. Yeah. It was gray. Yeah. So fast. Yeah. I was like taking him back. There are some other things that, um, so here, here's the deal. Uh, Trumbo decides that he's not going to stop working. Right. And so he, Sells his ranch because mm-hmm. he's, again, one of the top paid people. He goes and he lives in a smaller house and he starts working for the King Brothers, just cranking out schlocky scripts for them um, week after week after week. And they're paying him like $1,200 a script or something like that and yeah. really getting some good stuff. And in the process, he gets some of these other writers also on board where they're getting money so that they have money to survive and feed their families. But it's not the big Hollywood money that they mm-hmm. had before. But it's this really weird scheme where... Essentially, Trumbo has people sneaking out and delivering scripts and getting money and answering the phone and phones in different ways. So no one knows what's going on. So no one can accuse Trumbo or the studios or the King Brothers in this case that they're hiring someone who is on the blacklist, who's mm-hmm. who's part of the Communist Party. And this just goes on for a long, long time. But, you know, he cannot put his name on anything. And then uh, he has this idea for a movie. That he sells to the King Brothers, um, the Brave One, mm-hmm. 1956, and he doesn't put his name on it. He just listed as Robert Rich, and the movie is so good that it wins an Academy Award. Right, <laughs> and he cannot go and pick that that trophy up nope. because uh-uh, this is against the rules. That like he shouldn't be working. He shouldn't be doing these things. But that wasn't even the first one. Technically, he won because then. Oh, right. Roman Holiday, Roman Holiday, Roman Holiday, who he had one of his writer friends before he got blacklisted, right. listed Cell. Yes. And that ended up winning an Academy Award. Yeah. For Ian uh, McClellan Hunter right. is one of his friends. And he said, please just put your name on it. I'll split this, the cost, the selling of this film, 50 uh, script with you, 50 50. Mm-hmm. And I can just get some money. And of course, then a, a Roman Holiday with uh, Audrey Hepburn yeah. uh, goes on to win an Academy <laughs> Award. So, you know, this guy. Trumbo won like what three, four different Academy Awards, all without his name on them. Or actually, I guess um, what well, he won like the last one, but he didn't get to go accept it, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, that it. was the one he went and, and accept. Well, yeah. accepted. So words getting around that we think Trumbo is this this rich guy, or mm-hmm. we think that Trumbo is is working under assumed names, and so there's this kind of hunt in the movie of. You know what's going on with Trumbo, and at the same time, he's family is having some difficulty coping with things. He's stressing out because he's working nonstop. Mm-hmm. He's on. He's drinking uh, alcohol and then taking uppers 
mm-hmm. to keep going. So it's a really mess. He's he's had a bad back. I mean, that was established in one of the very first scenes that he had a bad back, and that's why he's always working in right. the bathtub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like subtle. It's like it's it's kind of subtle where he just like put the pillow behind his back when he's mm-hmm. in his chair, and then he just is in the tub like the yeah. rest of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then Kirk Douglas is like. I want you to write, you know, after, especially after the, um, the brave one, mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas reaches out to him and says, I want you to adapt Spartacus for me. And I want you to write the script for Spartacus. Mm-hmm. And I want you to be, uh, you know, I, I want to put your name on it. I mean, this is 15 years. This is 1960, mm-hmm. uh, after the HUAC, uh, committee hearings. And so he's kind of getting excited about this. And then Otto Preminger shows up, yeah. who was also one of the things they didn't mention in the film. He was also one of the people who was named, who was uh, uh, subpoenaed to come to the HUAC committee to testify on whether he was a communist or not. Uh-huh. That was not touched on in the movie. But because he was German, he flew in, made his comments and flew back out oh, during that whole time right. period. I remember this now. Uh, but uh, then he comes in and he's like, hey. I know you're working on this Spartacus film, but I want you to write Exodus for me as well. Mm-hmm. And he also um, wants to put Trumbo's name on on the film, uh, up on the screen, on the on the script. And of course, this causes a tizzy with Hollywood and the uh, American uh, those that were super pro American right. in the film, and. They're moving ahead with it and studios are buying it and uh, the the um, Hetty Hopper and John Wayne and others are trying to get people to boycott this. Mm-hmm. And then John Kennedy, the president, goes and sees this film, which, you know, shouldn't be seen by a president if you're trying right. to avoid people that are affiliated <laughs> with communism. And on the night that he comes out and said it was a good film, that's the end of the blacklist. No, it doesn't matter anymore mm-hmm. whether these people were blacklisted or not. I mean, it does matter. But, I mean, right. essentially they could go work they under their work own now. names again. And so Trumbo went on and he's got a huge number of lists. But when we look at um, Spartacus, Exodus, The Last Sunset, Lonely Are the Brave, uh, he did uh, how many films after Spartacus? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven films. Um after after Spartacus. So he had a long career uh, through the 1970s, and that's when the movie ends is when he's accepting his award. Mm-hmm. He was not able to go and get his Academy Award for um, Roman Holiday until 1993. He had already passed away. Right. Um, but they, they did re, rerun a, a trophy for him for that with his name on it. He was given the one for the Brave One. And I believe his wife picked that up in 1970-something or 80-something. I think it might have been the 90s, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I think they were like both in the 90s. So in the end, from this film, what are we supposed to to walk away with? Do we know, do we understand Trumbo more? That's an interesting because I felt like the first half of the movie really sets up the plot, but the character, mm-hmm. and they kind of set up the character of Trumbo. But mm-hmm. his arc really is in the second where he, because you don't know, and I think his friend, who's played by Louis C.K. Right. in the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. lays some seeds for Trumbo's character arc and how he even can, I think, even further his communist ideas, essentially. Right. Well, yeah, because I would it. say Louis C.K.'s well, character is much more communist than, yes. or at least wanting to push those ideas than, than Trumbo is. In fact, yeah. um, in one of the scenes, uh, one of the King brothers played by John Goodman is like, 
hey, this is a movie about an alien that comes down and is having <laughs> sex with the farmer's daughter. And you're writing in all this stuff about communist stuff. <laughs> and Trumbull's like, OK, I'll fix this. And he tries to have a talk with with the Louis C.K. character. And he's just like, I'm not having any of this. I mean, this is what I believe in. And I'm going to write this into mm-hmm. these things. And then so they kind of have to, a parting of ways for a while. Right. And then he eventually dies from yeah, uh, lung cancer. Yeah. And so that is like the one of the big conflicts with, I felt, Trumbo in the mm-hmm. second half that he eventually has to reconcile by kind of writing real movies or like, quote mm-hmm. unquote, real movies again. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, Not B movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that's the conflict. If you're like, you're trying to figure out what is Trumbo's goal in the second half. Is it just money because it feels like it's almost it really money. does feel like, it's like money. he's just trying mm-hmm. to make a lot of money mm-hmm. and he's not really trying to fight the system for the ideals anymore he's trying to fight them this show me show the system oh you can blackmail me but i'm still gonna make a lot of money which uh, is kind of antithetical to his like ideas yes right because that was one of the things that uh, louis ck and the character and trumbo have mm-hmm. a conversation about is that um you know, Louis C.K.'s character is not making a lot of money. He's not right. rich like Trumbo. Uh, but Trumbo, you know, and he points out, he says, yeah, but you're one of those rich communists. Mm-hmm. And Trumbo's like, well, yeah, I guess I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. And the money does seem to be a big driver mm-hmm. in the piece. And the reason I think it I think it comes off as he is after the money only because money represents that, hey, I'm getting paid by something you said I'm not supposed to be right. paid for. And the more he works the more he's sticking it to the system, Mm -hmm. even though the system is relatively blind to what's going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not until the brave one comes out that people are like, Oh, King brothers have been working with Trumbo all this time. Right. So, and I'm cool with that. Yeah. That idea of him doing that. Cause I think that's just, I mean, if I still a great stick it to the guys uh, thing, but it, it, it does seem, um, I mean, I, I don't think it seems wrong in his character arc but i think it it fits his arc of trying to reconcile being the rich communist writer mm-hmm. and then eventually kind of stretching that out into not so much for the money anymore which i kind of felt like he got to or towards but the end especially when he kind of reconciles with his daughter mm-hmm. who uh was starting to be of like a political activist in right. her own right right and but he's essentially tearing his family apart by writing mm-hmm. all the time and not giving any of them essentially love or not showing up to his daughter's birthday party because he's so focused on sticking to him by just making money somewhere. Now he had three kids. Uh, we, we mentioned before his son, Christopher Trumbo uh, was a, th- a filmmaker and a screenwriter somewhere. I remember reading an article about Trumbo as seen through the eyes of his son and his son's Mm. like yeah he was kind of a dick to us Mm -hmm. and he was distant and he was always busy and working there's a big scene where it's the oldest daughter's 16th birthday and he's upstairs in the bathtub typing away and too busy to come down to have cake and so the daughter freaks out and goes upstairs and busts open the door and he's just basically instead of says I'm sorry he's like I am working I Mm -hmm. look at I'm busting my back working for you guys trying to provide for you guys so you can have everything that you want and you want me to come down for your birthday party you know and he just really berates her Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like man Trumbo what a dick yeah especially because he he sings very low in the second half of the Mm -hmm. movie Mm -hmm. when you are rooting for him in the beginning because he has these ideals that mm-hmm. are going to better 
you know, the the country as a whole and individual people are going to be lifted up and everyone's kind of going to be on this like level, more level playing field. Right. And you are kind of going with him. But then he slowly just kind of falls down this hole where you almost can't even support him anymore. Mm-hmm. Where the hero essentially has fallen. You're like, mm-hmm. I don't even want to help you up. Right. Like, you have to figure this out. Right, right. I'm not sure he does because it's other people that come to his rescue. Preminger and Douglas come to his rescue. Oh, yeah, but I'm I'm like same with his family. Like the, like he has to fix his family. Mm-hmm. Like no one his wife pointed out and he could have still ignored her. So let me ask you a question. Because yeah. there are some things in the film that are radically different than what happened in real life. And okay. one of them really kind of struck me as I was going back and researching some more on Trumbo's life is when he sold his ranch in uh, not Northern California, but north of Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. it'd probably be up maybe around Malibu or maybe up a little um, north than that, of that. Where do you think he moved? In the movie, where does it make it look like he moved to? Um, Like the suburbs of LA? Yeah. Yeah. Because like one of those Kirk little... Douglas just drives over to his house. Otto yeah. Preminger just rolls up to his house. No, he took his family after he got out of prison and moved to Mexico. What? And was working for the King brothers <laughs> in Mexico. And a lot of the other writers were working with him in Mexico. Now, I don't know if this was just, you know, like Tijuana, Mexico, because all I see is just he moved to Mexico and was working there for the King brothers. Oh, wow. And that is not portrayed that is at not all where they are. <laughs> in, the, in the movie. So no. there's some, I mean, look at this as a Hollywood biography, mm-hmm. very much like what we saw with Straight Outta Compton is there's going to be some coloring of the piece to make people to compress time and to compress instances and can, and, and I think in times to compress characters mm-hmm. or conversations, you know, instead of having him have ca- uh, conversations with 10 other people, which we rarely get to see who these other 10 guys are. Yeah, very real. He's, he really interacts with, um, Ian, um, Hunter. Yeah. Uh, who, who's that played by? Is that, um, he looked very familiar. Yeah. It's Alan Tudyk. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from Firefly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, he really has a conversation with him and Louis C.K.'s character, who is uh, Arlen Hurd. And it's, I'm going to bet that other conversations that happen between those other Hollywood 10 have been compressed compressed and condensed into interactions with these two guys. Sure. Yeah, um, it's kind of like they needed him to be in the suburbs of L.A. Right. So he could, they could... Uh, do the the plot points of sneaking his neighbors, around, yeah. yeah, kind of uh, being bad to him, yeah, and sneaking the scripts, yeah, because they move around. into the they move into these suburbs in the film, yeah. and the next day he's out and he's going to pick up his paper, and there's a note on there. It says to the Trumbos, and it says, "Welcome to the neighborhood, traitors." Mm-hmm. And then the kids are going to go out and swim in the swimming pool, which you know, hey, get out of jail, and you still have enough money to go afford a house yeah, with bad. a swimming pool. And someone has dumped garbage all in the swimming pool and spray painted on the wall, "Go home, traitor," mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, there's some, some tweaking of the narrative here, Mm -hmm. which I guess I, I have a, uh, still kind of have a bit of a problem with, right? Because we're not seeing actual representation of what happened. Um, it is interesting that when the credits are rolling at the end of the film, they actually, uh, at one point when, uh, Trumbo comes out and says, I am rich, uh, I want my award essentially, Mm -hmm. they actually roll that actual, um, interview with Trumbo while the credits are rolling. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really yeah. fascinating. I thought that was really interesting too, because it seemed like the, pl- the piece of the interview they ro- rolled could have been 
very good inside the movie because he's talking about his daughter and how right, essentially right. influential right. his daughter was on his life and his decisions. And then eventually he said, if I ever get the award for uh, this film, I feel like I'll give it to her, which I think would have been a great which moment was, in the Which film. was weird because he's not talking about the oldest daughter, the one that keeps talking to him about, yeah, you can come out and you can do these things. He's talking about his youngest daughter oh, he in is? that interview. Yes. Oh, that's even more weird than Yeah. He's talking about, I want to give it to my youngest daughter. She was this age when all this happened. Oh, yeah, because she was three. Yeah. Yeah, she had to live through yeah. this whole thing. Without really understanding what was going on, while the older daughter, I think right. Mitzi, uh-huh. was the one that was pushing him and encouraging to yeah. do stuff. So, again, some weird things going on in, in that story, in that in that na- narrative. So, Yeah, I mean, and that's the, the good and the bad of these historical films is that they... They write them and shoot them and tell them in a way that is a way you can fit multiple years of someone's life mm-hmm. into essentially two and a half, two hours. Yeah. Um, and that would be hard to do if you kept straight with the script because right. there's so many little tendrils of stories that take place in your life that formulate the giant, the arc of it. And so you have to kind of mix it, but then you're not giving the full correct story to the audience in these like the movie suggests and who I was like, Hollywood is very influential. So then we believe this is the actual thing because it's hard and, and you don't want to go look things up. So variety in its review said Trumbo may be clumsy and oversimplistic at times, but it's still an important reminder of how democracy can fail and the strength of the character it takes to fight the system. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, I think it kind of worked is yes, even though it's not maybe 100% historically accurate, it is showing you what was going on. And as you said, there are parallels to what's going on today that we need to be paying attention to or else democracy is going to fail again. Yeah, you're you're right. I think that's a great point for this film because why we can bemoan historical films Mm -hmm. uh, not being 100% accurate. Generally, they have a point to the whole thing Mm -hmm. and to remind us of the past and how it can be applied to the now and how not to repeat the mistakes of the past. And then that movie in well, Trumbo mm-hmm. is, I feel like pretty good at that and seeing like, this is wrong. Like we should not go after people and ruin their livelihoods because they hold a belief that some people find un-American mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that is a wrong thing that we should uh, be very wary of. So Trumbo has been nominated for a, a number of different things since its release. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for the Writers Guild uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. It's not been named as the best uh, as a best picture, um, but what we continually see is Brian Cranston nominated as best actor, and Helen Mirren, who plays Hetty Hopper, as best supporting actress. Right. And I think Louis C.K. was uh, nominated for best supporting actor in the Indiana Film Journalists Association Awards. Nice. And also um, the best acting ensemble, which included everyone. Mm-hmm. Um. In the Critics' Choice Awards, those were all nominated. It's only one so far. Brian Cranston is only one in the Palm Springs International Film Festival for the Spotlight Award as being an actor, not Best mm-hmm. Actor for this film, but just the Spotlight Award actor. With this one being the attached, uh, right now for the Academy Awards, it's only Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. It's only for Best Actor, mm-hmm. and we won't find out until this weekend. Right. So by Monday, this will already be old uh, conversation. <laughs> But is Brian Cranston best actor category? I mean, is this I I'll be honest. Yeah. I think he could have played it without trying to do the weird little uh, accent 
of trying to mimic Trumbo mm-hmm. because that was very distracting yeah. and it wasn't consistent throughout the film. No. And I was drawn out of the picture multiple times by him doing his little uh, speech. Uh, I, I, I feel like that is one of the biggest failings of Trumbo is that we're not too far removed for this where mm-hmm. there are still people. I mean, Kirk Douglas is actually still alive. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, most people know a the main the main big stars in this film mm-hmm. and the John the dude who played John Wayne how he did his like, voice like the John Wayne voice is like already yeah somewhat annoying to me right and then someone doing a John Wayne voice yeah, yeah. is even more and this guy fluctuates how heavily he's doing a John Wayne David, kind of impersonation David James Elliott plays yeah. but you know who would have been better it's to, rough you know who would have been better to play uh, John Wayne that? <laughs> the guy who is Putty uh, from uh, Seinfeld oh, yes, would he would have been, been a much better yeah. uh, character would, I wonder I wonder if he would be too old now though how old would I he don't be? know I, he he'd probably be in his 40s or 50s oh no I think he's well into his 50s yeah uh, let me let me see if I can find his name really quick. But yeah, you know he yeah because he has a good voice. He's he does some animated work that I really mm-hmm. enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then there was someone else. Like I, Patrick I feel like the, Warburton is his. Oh name. yeah, yeah. Like I felt like the Kurt Douglas thing was a little weird. It was a little weird, especially when they put the I am Spartacus. I'm like, okay, what? Oh I, yeah, because they were actually using the film. Yeah, and you're like, wait, that's not the same. You know, it's clear that it's not yeah. the same person. Yeah, that was really weird. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there are some interesting things that are going on in this film from the historical perspective, but there's nothing in this film that is outstanding. No. Right. I mean, I think right now uh, Metacritic has it at like 73% or Rotten Something Tomatoes like has it at 73%. Yeah. It means it's a solid film. It was a movie that I was super excited about because mm-hmm. I did want to see this story told. But in the end, after it was over, I was like, well, you didn't see me tweet out this was a great movie. Yeah. Or, oh my God, guys, <laughs> you got to watch this movie. It was it was okay, but I'm just. Yeah, I'm, it was a decent film that I think has a good message mm-hmm. behind it. But with the runtime and I honestly I think Cranston as much as I think his work is very uh, good for his overall career mm-hmm. I was like there's a, I think better films and better performances from this year that would probably yeah. be more deserving yeah. of a best actor nomination mm-hmm. than than his work no I, he's, he has no chance of winning no he has none whatsoever. it's, like, it's one of those David times where it's just better. it's just an honor to be nominated is what yeah. he should say so right <laughs> because is not that great. And honestly, the film overall, I think the production-wise, I felt was very lackluster, and I thought they made yeah, some just, very odd choices. Yeah, it was just by the, they by the numbers kind of with stuff. Because, you know, when you do these films of, oh, we're modern, so everything's in color, but then we'll show like a black and white film, and then <laughs> right, we'll fade right. it in the color. Yeah, it was, yeah. There were some choices that I just thought, thought were very, very odd. And, and, almost, and by odd, some of it was just too cliche to do well, like, like, do, like the tv of the the huac uh mm-hmm. congressional things and mm-hmm. it started off as the old like four by three frame uh aspect ratio for the right. tvs and it slowly just went out into the cinema frame and i was like okay i've done that. and it slowly goes from the black and white into color um like i think the, when the very first time they do it is when they're on set shooting uh, Trumbo's film and right. they start in the black and white which is kind of jarring because you're, you're you start in the color and you go to the black and white mm-hmm. and then they're acting out the scene and then 
he flubs a line. He's like, oh, and they and just it slowly bring it to color. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. well, I don't know why they didn't just do a hard cut into color right yeah. there because it would have been much better. Much better. I just they made so odd choices. Jay Roach, the director of this, uh, you may know him as the director of Austin Powers movies, yeah. uh, of Meet the Parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meet the Fockers, mm-hmm. 51st Dates. Yeah. He also directed Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, no, he's executive producer of Hitchhiker's Guide to the okay. Galaxy. Executive producer on Borat. Um, <laughs> he was the executive producer on Bruno. He directed Dinner for Schmucks. Uh, he's the executive producer of Little Fockers. Um, and then uh, the director of The Brink Trumbo and an upcoming movie, All the Way. So going by this list... A lot of drama, right? Yeah. Was, he's got a lot of drama under his belt it's with these very films. Odd. It's very odd. Same it's, with it's the cinematographer comics. is uh, Jim Denault. And he shot a lot of those films. Mm. I was like, this is so odd. He, Which he is shot, weird like, because- a couple, it, three political, and, more drama type things. But like, what a weird, what a weird career. And maybe that's what happens when you're making a jump from one genre to another, when you're going from comedy mm-hmm. and a lot of it physical humor comedy into something like this, which is not no. that. Um, so maybe that's where some of the flubs- come up but um i just thought it was by the numbers kind of staging shooting nothing spectacular Mm -hmm. nothing nothing that made me say wow on this film yeah especially when i read an interview with a cinematographer and they said they tried super low though too oh was it It was only 15 million dollars that's pretty low budget especially because especially and considering everybody that they had yeah everyone was probably working really reduced they probably work in scale yeah. yeah um the cinematographer said they like tried to shoot this in a way that kind of mimicked that time period, which honestly, I don't think they really Mm-mm. did. I don't think they did I, I still felt it felt kind of modern mm-hmm. to me. They said they tried to color correct it into, uh, to kind of match that Kodachrome film back right, there. Right, right, right. I thought maybe at times it kind of had that feel, but nothing too drastic. I felt like that. I, I never thought like, oh, maybe they're shooting this on film and. Yeah, no, none of uh, that. Yeah, so I don't feel like they really capture the time period mm-hmm. in really any way. So what what's your bottom line on this movie? Um I I was I was I was what was say going into Trumbo. Mm-hmm. I was not as excited to this for film as you like leading up to oh, it. Oh right, right. But then I started I listened to your podcast and was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, it's kind of uh, an important time in American history and in mm-hmm. film history. Mm-hmm. As well, I was like, oh, I'm excited to see this. I enjoy Brian Cranston's acting. I think he does good work. Let's give us a go. And I thought some of the messages were great. I really thought, honestly, I think the Trumbo story arc is an interesting one. Right. I just don't know if it was executedly, executed as well as it could have been. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of from a script, just kind of everything involved. Like, I don't think this movie lived up to what it No, I don't. I don't be. think it did either. And so... I think I would actually watch this again or just make someone watch this because I think it's an interesting parallel to mm-hmm. what's currently happening in America, mm-hmm. which I find really interesting. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend this movie on its merits as right, a film right. in general. I like this movie, mm-hmm. but I didn't like like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I went ahead and bought it. I mean, I, I usually yeah. buy instead of rent uh, digital movies. I, anyway. I actually rented this one, which is the first which time probably, in a while. Yeah. Um, it's probably something worth visiting again sometime down the road, but it's one that's going to easily be passed. If listeners want, and in, and you and I have just kind of brushed on and sometimes stumbled upon um, the history of the, the blacklist and the Hollywood 10. Yeah. 
last Zach on film, I mentioned a couple of podcasts that really go into depth on this. The first one is The Secret History of Hollywood, A Modern Guide to the Golden Age of Cinema. And the episode you want to look for is called Hunting Witches with Walt Disney. It's I, I have this kind of rule where I don't like to listen to shows that go over hour, hour and a half because yeah. they start to cramp into or step on other shows that I want to listen right. to. Um, this one is almost three hours long and it's fascinating because it kind of gives you the entire history of what led into the, the HUAC um, hearings, why Walt Disney was involved in this, those kinds of things. Very good. Very much worth your time. The other one is an ongoing series mm-hmm. uh, for this year from 2016. It's, it's the podcast is you must remember this um, where they're telling stories of uh classic Hollywood. Right. They've done some, uh, the, the, I forget the woman's name. Who's the producer. She does a fantastic job on these, but they started off this year with a series called the blacklist and they've just finished part three. And there was a, there's the new one, I guess just came out this week called blacklist flashback bogey before Bacall, um, which because uh, Humphrey Bogart was involved too Mm. in this and really kind of got screwed over um, during the blacklist, but you want to listen to of you must remember this. You you should listen to episodes seventy one and seventy two, the blacklist part one and part two, the prehistory of the blacklist, which talk of, talks about what Hollywood was doing before yeah. the blacklist started, and kind of introduces you to these concepts of maybe these Hollywood was asked to do this stuff, and then they mm-hmm. got slapped on the hands without really understanding why. And then the second one is Crossfire: The Trials of the Hollywood Ten, which is really specifically about what happened in Trumbo. Yeah. And those are a lot shorter. They're only about an hour apiece. So yeah, over I the course of five f- hours, yeah, you can get a really good in-depth uh, look at what happened during this blacklist time. Uh, part three of uh, You Must Remember This was about, um, oh, Singer. I, I forget what her name was. Yeah, uh, I Billie Holiday, I think. I, I forget. But uh, they're going to continue that, uh, I guess, through this year. They yeah. said it's an 11-part one. So. I've listened to the first two, and they're and they're really interesting and really fascinating, mm-hmm. and really made me interested in this time of film and kind of American history. Just come what was happening, so I definitely recommend those because they're pretty easy to get through and they're really good. Lessons. Oh yeah, yeah, and both of them are super well produced. They are mm-hmm. done in a documentary style, which I really like. In fact, I'm working on something even before I started. It started when I started listening to Hardcore History about six months ago. Oh yeah. And now that I'm starting to listen to Secret History of Hollywood, you must remember this. I'm starting to I'm working on something that's very much like these mm. um, stuff. Not as long, hopefully. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's kind of, you know, everybody wants to jump on the serial style of telling yeah. a story. I think these audio documentaries are fantastic. I think they're really good. Too. Yeah. 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 Um, so any final thoughts? Nothing. Average movie, good movie, not a great movie. Yeah. Um, acting, some great actors on the movies. I mean, you've got, like I, I said, you we have- um, John Goodman. I John Goodman. And we also have, oh, the guy that uh, plays the blind man in um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And he also plays the head of the radio station in on that old NBC uh, TV show, uh, Talk Radio. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that guy from- uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I know he, that does the little train cart. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Not the blind guy. Um, oh. the guy that was running the radio station or the recording. Oh, yes, 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 yes. They are the King brothers. Goodman and here are the King oh, brothers yeah. in this. And it's yeah. fantastic because he's kind of like the more legal side of the brotherhood mm-hmm. saying, yes, we can do this. No, we can do this. Here's the money for this. And John Goodman's just like, gimme, gimme, gimme. We're going to make this great. And he's actually, you know, standing up. The, the character that he portrays actually stands up for 
uh, Trumbo and the others because someone from one of the studios or from the uh, movie distribution house yeah. comes in and is like, well, we can't distribute your movies if you have Trumbo working with us. He pulls out a baseball bat and is threatening <laughs> the guy and is like, you get out of here. I'll do whatever the hell I want. You can't stop me. Is really yeah. I mean, there's some really great moments in here. It's too bad it's interspersed with, you know, like two hours of dull. Yeah. I really like the King Brothers motivation for not wanting the the get rid of the blacklist. It's like the money and the yeah, pussies yeah. are falling off the tree. You're not going to ruin this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and they're getting great writers for like, like rock nothing. bottom prices. Yeah. 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 yeah it's great. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I, I think if you are interested in what we've done on Zach on film since we've started and looking at kind of film history through these films, I don't think you would go wrong with watching Trumbo. I think you would mm-hmm. probably find it interesting if you like, especially what we did in the first part of Zach on film when we first started. I think it's definitely worth watching and listening to those podcasts because it definitely goes into some film history and yeah, it's definitely. really interesting from that point of view. Uh, so I would definitely say go check it out. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Zach on film. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, uh, Go find this podcast over at the Major Spoilers podcast or Majorspoilers.com, this podcast posting page where you can give your thoughts on Trumbo or anything involved in the Trumbo storyline. Uh, while you're there, click on that Amazon.com link where you can do all of your shopping. Uh, you know, online shopping's great, Stephen. It's so it convenient and easy. You can get it shipped right to your door, especially if you have an Amazon Prime account. It's going to be free shipping today. It's wonderful. If you use that link at Majorspoilers.com, it's not going to cost you any extra when you go buy you know, your diapers or your uh, newest Blu-ray movie. Yes. But a little bit of that purchase will come back to Major Spoilers to help keep the site going each and every week. Every little bit helps. So we'll be back next week with more film talk on Zach on Film. is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.